Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to uh, the uh, what it, fourth show in the morning, I think, on Bry Radio Day. Uh, we've got uh, a little science for you now. Uh, we've had politics, we've had some drum and bass, we've had some 60s and 70s stuff, and now we've got science. So it's just getting better and better. Uh, my name's Doc Carney, you may recognise me, and... And uh, with me, I have uh, three uh, very fine young scientists. Uh, I have Isla, I have Stanley, and I have Dylan. And we're going to have a sort of uh, session talking about current science news. We'll intersperse that with a few uh, few songs. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you're going to enjoy the morning. Uh, I'm going to throw straight over to Dylan. Dylan, uh, I think you've got a news item you wanted to sort of share with us. Yes, very exciting. The, uh, the Nobel Prize in Physics was announced recently, and uh, it was given for three people's work on... Um, researching quantum entanglement. They managed to use experimental data to, to show some practical applications that could uh, be used for this, uh, mainly in uh, quantum computing and encryption. So in, in the future, there there's this danger that um, the current encryption, uh, encryption algorithms which we use uh, to secure data, for example, for banking or uh, even just texting someone, all of that gets encrypted so that no one else would be able to um, uh, in, in essentially spy on... Uh, your communications or your bank statements or whatever it is. Uh, however, with the advent of quantum computers, uh, they can use something called Shor's algorithm to break that encryption. And um, if, if quantum computers got to the point where anyone could have them, uh, the internet would break down. It, w- it would be a huge mess. So these uh, scientists were working on a way to use quantum entanglement to secure uh, data through encryption. Because there are some quantum computers in existence already, aren't there? They're, they're, they're at a very basic level. Yes, uh, but they're, they're more proofs of concept than actually. They can't uh, apply uh, Shor's algorithm to, to break the encryption yet. They're not that powerful. Okay. Um, so uh, we've gone on to the possible uses of it. What is it? What is quantum entanglement? Um, <laughs> to be honest... It's just, you know, just in simple terms, in obviously. Simple terms. You know. <laughs> Basically, two, two subatomic particles can be... Uh, as it's uh, called, entangled. Um, Einstein thought it was completely uh, mad and called it spooky action at a distance. But the idea is that these two particles, even when far apart, can interact with each other, um, which which seems to defy some sort of common sense or laws of physics. But it is a thing. Um, and I'm sure you, you know more about it than I. I. I'm not sure I do. I think, uh, well, certainly certainly not that it's going to get very technical. It is it is bizarre. Um, and also there's something, if I remember rightly, there's, there's some weird stuff about um, the entanglement, meaning the information sh- is shared from one particle to another faster than the speed of light. light. Yeah. And in fact, they've got, they've got a new sort of speed limit, and it's a minimum speed limit, and it's many, many times faster than the speed of light, which, you know, has been a pretty important speed limit for a long time. I don't know if you've read a lot of science fiction, but in a lot of cases, I mean, of course, Dr. Carney has read a lot of science fiction. (laughs) (laughs) But um, they use, there's this uh, kind of um, theory where they use quantum entanglement to share information over long distances. For example, they have two quantumly entangled particles and through changing the um, state of the particles, I think the spin, um, they can basically share computer code, zeros and ones, to a computer on the other side of even the universe instantaneously. And 
send data over. I think that's really interesting. That would, that would be amazing. It, it reminds me of the, the, the awful, awful stuff going on when they were trying to solve the longitude problem. And uh, they used to, uh, you, you'd injure an animal. <laughs> God, stay, stay with me. You injure an animal. You then take the injured animal on your ship. And back at home, they sort of... Uh, they they, they uh, heat up the, the knife that injured the animal at midday every day and on the ship the dog will then sort of whimper and whinge because it's in pain uh, and you know what the time is and that was a way of being able to sort of work out longitude and knowing where you are in the world uh, and it's got that sort of same sort of rather spooky kind of odd kind of what you know it just sort of mysteriously connects I mean how does that work it feels like we've gone back to some middle, middle ages sort of approach it's it's interesting because uh, I'm reading a great book at the moment called uh, What We Owe the Future, uh, and it talks about how in the past uh, society was sort of broken up and there was not very much communication. Uh, someone in the Roman Empire would not have known pretty much anything about what was going on in, in Asia at the time. So uh, with globalization, obviously, that's changed, and now you can video call anyone from anywhere in the world um, and instant, instantly communicate with them. But in the future, say that humanity was to expand past the solar system, we'd once again uh, become a sort of collection of fragmented societies not able to communicate with each other in any reasonable tra- time frame. Uh, but if, if quantum entanglement were to have practical applications in faster-than-light communication, the, this would not hold true in it. So it's very interesting to think that we are in one uh, amazing period of time where it might be the only small window in, in the entirety of humanity's future where we'll be able to communicate with almost anyone in, uh, who is a human almost instantly, whereas in the future and in the past that may not be the case. Or we can talk to aliens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. These guys will know I, I do like a bit of UFO conspiracy. So uh, yeah, if we can actually communicate with aliens, that's got to be a good thing. Okay, uh, I'm going to sort of cut into a bit of music now while we think of our next topic.
And uh, I think next up, uh, Isla's found an article she wanted to share with us. Um, so it's about nuclear fusion. Um, so at the moment, all nuclear power plants use fission. Um, but the UK's first prototype nuclear fusion reactor is going to be built in Nottinghamshire. They're replacing a coal power plant. Um, it should be finished by 2040. And this prototype site will generate around 100 megawatts of electricity, which is less than 1% of the UK's energy demand. Um, the findings should help lay the path for future expansion in this sector um, because fusion is much greener than fission and more efficient. Um, Stanley knows a lot about fusion, so he's going to... Yeah, so there are already some uh, you know, research stations, uh, especially in England. There's the JET Laboratory, which is the Joint European Tokamak. And earlier this year, they broke a record where they produced a whopping 11 megawatts of power in five seconds, which can heat 60 kettles of water. (laughs) Um, So it's pretty obvious that the technology for fusion isn't quite there yet. And the main reason for this is it's pretty hard. I mean, you're replicating basically what's going on in the inside of the sun. Um, We're talking hundreds of million degrees Celsius and lots of pressure. in the south of France at the moment, there's a project going on called ITER. Um, and they are building, a, I think, 18 billion pound investment into a huge nuclear fusion power station. Um, for those of you who are unaware of nuclear fusion, it's, um, it's what goes on in every star. What produces uh, most of our heavy elements? Everything up to iron. Everything up to iron. And typically... It's where two isotopes of hydrogen um, on Earth, hopefully it'll be deuterium and tritium, are forced together under immense heat and pressure until they overcome each other's electrostatic uh, uh, repulsions and manage to fuse to form what should be hydrogen, uh, helium-4 sorry, and a neutron. Uh, that neutron will be obviously absorbed by the lining of the fusion reactor to create heat energy. And uh, this is the waste products of it are much less uh, dangerous than those of fission, which have to be stored in facilities designed to uh, protect it for the next fifteen thousand years mm. before they uh, become uh, how like the area becomes habitable. Uh, and what do you think this uh, this the consequences this will have on people's public opinion of nuclear power? Because at the moment it's quite negative. But do you think that there's a possibility? Yeah. So I think especially among the general community, nuclear energy is it's a big red flag because most because of Chernobyl and Fukushima, you know that we've never really had an amazing experience with nuclear power. Um, so there's there's a certain uh, bad reputation for it. Um, but if we can prove that you know nuclear fusion is safe and it's reliable, I think that's a huge step into you know getting a more green and efficient energy source. But it's it's interesting the government's standpoint on it. So Germany, who which could be seen as quite a you know a forward economy, their um, their uh, um, green MP said that fusion is unreliable. And it's not a viable energy source, which I think is really interesting. So they've they've withdrawn a lot of investments from nuclear fusion and specifically that of ITER in France. When, when they said unreliable, I'm interested. The, the thing with fusion, um, and, and everything you said is right, is that uh, when I was your age, 
uh, if fusion was about you know 20 years away or so and then we'd have fusion reactors and uh, as you know that's not yesterday that was some time ago uh, so 20 years has passed almost twice uh, no yeah it was twice since that day uh, and we're still 20 years away is, is, is it that sense of it being a technology that's out of reach yeah. that they're worried about well there's there's a bit of a joke that says like nuclear fusion is always 20 or 50 years away they say that every year and it never gets closer um <laughs> um, ITER should be running in a few years I think 2025 it should have its first runs um, but it is, it's difficult you know, and it requires a lot of investment and we have to wait until governments are ready to put in money for that or private sectors are ready to put money in that no, you're quite right, and it, it is a, a massive investment. And it's, you know, for as long as you're you're you know you're building your quite rightly building your uh, your renewable energy sources, your windmills, and your um, your solar cells, it seems like sort of almost blue sky thinking to try and you know put all this trillions of dollars into something technology that's still unproven that, yeah. really. Um, but you know the idea of having limitless fuel um, energy wherever you want it regardless of the weather blah 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 you know it's, it's the holy grail really it is it's a dream and also uh, in future missions to say that the moon or Mars there's those people who have theorized that you can mine everything you need for fusion on the moon yeah. uh, which would be ideal because then they could produce their own power there easily yeah definitely there's a lot of movies about that yeah because <laughs> yeah, it then becomes a mobile technology as well because you yeah. know you can't take your windmill into space yeah. <laughs> not much use I do like the idea of um, small modular nuclear fission reactors that are becoming starting to become a thing. So there are a lot of startups that are producing these small kind of car-sized fission reactors that like that of Chernobyl. Um, but obviously they're a lot safer. They don't have a risk of overpressurizing and need to be refueled every, I think, 13 years. And it could provide energy in more rural areas. I think that's very interesting. It's interesting, though, because... With uh, even taking into account disasters like Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima, uh, the number of deaths per kilowatt for uh, fusion power is still incredibly low compared to for that fission of coal. Power, for fission, yeah. for fission. fusion would be hopefully even Endless, lower. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, with fusion, there's no risk of meltdown. They can't overpressurize. Yeah. You know, if, if it malfunctions, it just cools down. No, if you look at all the, the particulates and stuff coming off your coal-fired power stations that are still operating around the world, it's far more dangerous to, oh, to far more people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll cut into another quick song. Um, I thought this might be appropriate.
you enjoyed the uh, cheesy segue there from uh, talking about uh, solar power and fusion to invisible sun i was, I was uh, sadly quite pleased with that but never mind uh we're gonna go on now to uh, another topical event uh, I forget who's gonna kick this one off i'm not quite sure where are we going are you um, going for it I, yep okay. uh nasa recently completed oh. a and now your microphone's on people will hear you even better uh nasa recently kicked off uh, or kicked off i mean finished off a mission um uh, called DART, which stands for Double Asteroid uh, Redirection System. Uh, and the idea behind DART was that if uh, a suitably large asteroid were to be on course to hit the Earth, uh, is there anything that we could do about it to prevent a uh, mass extinction event like what happened to the dinosaurs? Um, so they there was this $330 million uh, air, uh, spaceship even uh, called DART. Spaceship is maybe a, a bit loose of a, a term, but that they crashed into, uh, there was two asteroids in a binary system, uh, one smaller one orbiting a larger one, and they they, they uh, crashed into the smaller one, which was called, I think, the Dimorphos? Um, yeah, Dimorphos. Dimorphos, uh, and to see how they could affect its trajectory. Um, uh, this asteroid, Dimorphos, was orbiting around a, a larger asteroid called Didamos, which was about, the, the larger asteroid is about twice the size of the Eiffel Tower, um, so these are quite massive asteroids, and the, the reason I think that this uh, mission was put into effect is because in 2013, um, an 18-meter-large asteroid uh, exploded over uh, Russia, uh, causing, I think, something around $25 million uh, worth of uh, property damage and quite a few injuries, uh, people's eardrums being ruptured, that sort of thing. But that was just 18 meters with um, uh, a suitably large, large asteroid. I think these are in the hundreds of meters uh, range. They, they could do some serious damage. Uh, so... Uh, while Dart crashed into Dimorphos, there was this thing called the uh, Likia Cube, uh, recording the thing, as well as hundreds of telescopes around the world. And uh, in fact, in China recently, they uh, they've been uh, they use this telescope to tra- trace the uh, uh, trail left behind uh, by Dart. Uh, and so it's quite beautiful; almost looks like a comet. Um, uh, any thoughts on this? Um, yeah. So they're hoping to redirect the the small asteroid's orbit by maximum or hopefully 10 minutes uh but apparently they'll be happy with 70 seconds i think um but yeah as i said i think they crashed into it how many how fast was it like 24 miles four four miles a second was it six six 6.6 kilometers per second yeah so four miles yeah um in hopes of redirecting its uh its course on its its orbit um it's also worth stating that 
there's no risk of it actually hitting Earth uh, when we hit it. It's, yeah, it's very far away. How far away is it's a, a few few million miles. Oh, six point eight million miles 6. from Earth. So I think we're miles. safe. I just got all the facts. Um, yeah, and I think they're just studying the effects at the moment this month uh, to then release the outcome and see see how well we did. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that they've chosen sort of the collision method. I mean, um, there's some bad movies out there, um, and there's a wonderful one with uh, Bruce Willis, uh, who is a part of a drilling team who drills into some comet or other and, and blows it up. Um, it's awful. Armageddon. Armageddon, thank you. Um, I, I, I've tried to erase the name from my mind. Um, <clears throat> of course, all, all he successfully does is splits up the big rock into lots of little bits, but it's the same energy hitting the planet, so we'd mm. all die. Uh, so surely, it's not a very successful Surely method, the smaller rocks would burn up or have a higher likelihood of burning up in the atmosphere. Cause... You get a single impact, but the overall effect yeah. would but be, a, there's a, be greater, a nuclear winter. But there's, surely there's a greater <laughs> surface, surface area for, for the air resistance to work on. And, I'm not, not saying it's not better. No, but that might not be good. <laughs> At the end of the movie, wasn't there this horrendous sacrifice? Oh yeah, well, he's, yeah. Bruce. He, Bruce, yeah. Bruce does a decent thing. We were just talking about utilitarianism in the last lesson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bruce saves the world, but uh, yeah, so but, puts himself on the line. And, yeah, oh, it's 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 gut wrenching. Um, yeah. yeah, or bucket wrenching. Um, yeah, the other method I, I heard about years ago was you you put a little lander mm. on on the, your your rock, <laughs> and the lander digs chunks of rock out and then kind of throws it off into space and digs another chuck and throws it off into space and, and it relies on sort of a conservation momentum thing so the little rocks go one way and the big rock goes the other way and so long as you do it early enough and this is the key thing about dart yeah. so long as you do it early enough a tiny deflection works the problem is you've got to get there early enough yeah yeah, because if you don't, <laughs> your tiny deflection's no good. The, so. the other method I've heard of is a lander landing on, on the asteroid and then using a, a very efficient but quite uh, weak uh, propulsion system. It could be so we were talking earlier uh, between the, in the break about uh, ion engines, which are a very interesting idea, mm. future technology that, that could possibly change the future of st- uh, space travel. But um, and you land this lander onto the asteroid and then just, just a tiny bit of thrust constantly for a few months and it redirects it hugely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, the, the problem, yeah, I'll come back to it, is that we have to be looking and we have to be spotting these things far enough away so that we can have these little effects and, and it still misses us. Um, and, yeah, there's one or two that have yeah hit the headlines, they've crept through and they got terribly close, you know, like between us and you it's still as far away as the moon or more well that's that's a near miss in space um that we've missed along the way so yeah there, there, there's a lot of a lot of effort going into trying to identify these things and spot them uh, as early as possible for that reason yeah i mean this uh this asteroid that were exploded uh in midair over uh russia was undetected uh, previously and it's quite worrying because if, if something as big as 80 meters can, can go by undetected and do that much damage i mean think think about how was it that big how big was it you saying i think i think it was 18 meters i double check uh, one eight or eight oh eighteen one eight one eight, eight, eight. yeah i thought you were saying 80 it was 80 would be really yeah. quite spectacular yeah Okay, we're going to cut some music and we'll have a couple of minutes left for a final wind-up at the end.
Our last uh, little stint before we're off the air, and uh, we thought uh, we'd lighten it up a little bit. All this uh, stuff, death and destruction and stuff. Uh, we thought we'd have a little uh, little round robin on uh, favourite science fiction movies. So good sort of uh, good pub chat. Who's kicking it off? I'll start off with uh, a classic, Interstellar. Uh, I remember the first time I watched this, uh, I I was just astounded. It was like I'd been hit with a, a re- revelation because it was just so 
the the cinematography, the music, the score, especially Hans Zimmer, as, as I'm sure Stanley will, will tell you about, is <laughs> just a genius. Um, after I watched it, I felt like I had experienced time dilation myself. Really, yeah. <laughs> I was. I stopped watching it. And I was just so like. Did, did you not start to lose faith with the whole library thing? Did you not start to to sort of yeah, switch a little bit? When he entered yeah. the black hole, it was. We've got to be careful bit. now because spoiler alert. But you know, <laughs> the, yeah, the, 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 but it's interesting because the the black hole they had a physicist. They hired a physicist and gave him like a year to yeah. Was it Kip Thorne? Kip Thorne. Kip Thorne. Had Kip Thorne simulate sort of exactly what it would look like. And it was quite accurate. They did remove one or two things in the interest of cinematography because it was not... (laughs) There were certain parts that obscured a thing and made it look look less grand. So I think they removed that. But for the most part, it was was what a black hole. I think... Uh, they didn't take into account the spin of the black hole either, but that was that's sort of besides the point. I think, yeah, I think for, for the Hollywood storytelling, it was it was not bad. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah for, for a Hollywood storytelling to try and deal with time dilation itself was was quite, yeah, quite very quite impressive. Challenging. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's first first bid, second bid. Um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, not the original. Not the original. Because oh, I haven't seen the original. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're forgiven. You're forgiven until you've watched the original. Then. And my dad made me watch it. Made you made me watch it when I was quite young, and I <laughs> loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's uh, it's so beautiful, but kind of so bleak. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. it's I think just that contrast displays quite a utopian society. Or it, the, what the, should be utopian? Yeah, I mean the cinematography sort of this sort thing. of echoed the original. It sort of yeah carried on the theme, which was absolutely groundbreaking. And, and Doug Trumbull's effects and all this sort of thing were were were, were, were incredible. It's it's the power of the story. So it's, it's a Philip yeah. K. Dick story. And if you've yeah. read any Philip K. Dick stories, I mean, it's a short story, but turned into this this, this mighty movie. Like, any of his stories are worth reading. Um, so you've got at the core of it a fantastic sort of theme, yeah. beautifully filmed, beautifully Harrison Ford at his best, yeah. whatever you may think of him. Uh, and Rutger Howard, this is the original. Um, you know, it's just just incredible. But yeah, I, I, I like I like the follow up. But I liked it. There's, there's a place in my heart of, for the original. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the the message of the of, of the story was lost in the second one. Mm. Just it didn't feel very deep. You know, that it wasn't. But again, I just I thought it was just completely beautiful and so somber. <laughs> it certainly stands it's out. It's a mood. It stands out amongst other movies. Though Interstellar Definitely. has a bit of that as well, doesn't it? It's yeah. So the, the Interstellar's more of like a more of an action, you know, intense with epic scores and. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's got it's got the grand settings. It's, it's got, got the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the Lord yeah, of yeah. the Rings big mountain scenes that sort yeah. of thing. Got yeah. have the background. Yeah. As far as uh, sort of adaptations go, I think. They probably had a much easier job with Blade Runner because it was from such a short story so they could sort of flesh out the world there. Whereas yeah. with something like Dune, the remake, they had to cut out so much. Um, as 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 Dr. Carney is funny. <laughs> Dr. Carney and I were having this disagreement about uh, about Dune. I, did, I never finished. I mean, it's my fault for not finishing it, but I just got so bogged down. I couldn't read it. I tried I, so many times. I couldn't do it. Same with The Hobbit, actually. Neither of really? those books. I couldn't do it. I started reading. I just well, do you know? Made the mistake of, of looking up in the in the in the like, glossary of terms at the back to understand what I was reading. So just <laughs> you know, just just keeping going, hoping it makes sense <laughs> sometime in the end. I don't know. Do you want to chip in with the movie? Yeah, I hate to get rid of the whole somber, serious tone, but I do love Back to the Future, classic. <laughs> I love a good time travel. Um, 
I don't know which one's which because every time I watch them, I watch all three in one go. <laughs> but they're just, they're great. Classics. Um, yeah. And I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who recently, which is great. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah great, great movie, great movie um, and, and, and franchise and, uh, and all the rest of it. Um, we, we're just about running out of time. I'm going to go... Only because it popped up the other day. I'm going back to Misery again. Uh, a movie that always makes me cry is Silent Running. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's the most extraordinary thing. And how you can empathise with a small box uh, hopping around, a little robot box, uh, it's an amazing movie. I strongly recommend it, but I also recommend if you're not moved by the, at the end of it, then, uh, then you have no humanity left. <laughs> Uh, we are out of time, and I can see people waiting outside, itching to get in here and take over. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to what's next on the... Oh, we're going to have a little bit of uh, Starship, how appropriately. Uh, we're going to Starship next, and uh, I'm going to be back uh, in period six. I think Dylan's going to be back as well, <laughs> if I can stop I him. If I can't stop him. And uh, no, no, yeah, we'll, we'll do a bit more of this sort of thing. And then I'm back again uh, with some music later on. Uh, but next is Mira and Alfie, and I'm going to hand over to them. So thank you for listening, and uh, talk to you later. Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio. Proudly sponsored by the BPA.